Our scripture reading this morning again is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11, looking at verses 3 and 4 once again, is kind of a springboard of everything we're talking about. Let's read this together from the board aloud. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we have proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths that we have sung, that you are our Redeemer and we do glory in you. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are our God, you are our Sovereign, you are our Lord, and that you are the divine creator of all the earth and you're the one who knows how life works best. And when we come to your word, we find life. We find that the things that you tell us to do are the things that are divinely appointed so that we may grow and mature in Christ's likeness and that we may more and more reflect your glory on the world. And so, Father, this morning, as once again, we are looking at an issue that is very prevalent in our culture Lord, I pray that we would not point fingers, but we would guard our hearts. I pray that we would have just the right balance of truth and grace and lovingness and compassion. That we would know that we're not just people who are concerned about the truth, but we're also concerned about people. And people are messy. I'm messy. Everyone in here is messy. And Lord, your purity is what saves us and makes us fit. It's nothing we've done. It's nothing we could ever deserve. It's only your grace and your mercy working in us. And so, Father, use this time to increase your effectiveness in us and increase our witness to the world around us. Move me aside so that the words of my heart and the meditations may be pleasing into your sight. And if there's one here today who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray, Lord, today would be the day you would draw them to yourself as we are contrasting biblical truth with cultural error. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and uh, you can go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to uh, 2 Corinthians. But to be honest with you, we're not really going to be there. Uh, In fact, if you want... If you have a ribbon or want to keep your thumb somewhere in the Bible, uh, you can also look to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, because we're going to kind of move our way to there. Interestingly enough, this morning when I woke up, uh, one of the first things I do is I'm I'm one of those guys who looks at his phone and first thing in the morning, and I just kind of look at a couple of news apps I have. I I look at Fox News, and yes, I, I look at CNN, and see what are the, the top stories of the day. And, and wouldn't you know it, this morning on Fox News, uh, critical race theory was all over the homepage. 
And so uh, one uh, particular school in Washington, the governor, the governor has mandated that all schools in the Washington state teach critical race theory to all the students in the school district. So just to give you an idea of how prevalent this is becoming. Between the years of 1852 and 1890, there were two men that were living in London, England. There's no evidence that the two ever met, but they definitely knew about each other. And both of them were very popular authors. And I know at least one of them was a very popular speaker, but that's about as far as their similarities go. The first one is a name that I hope that every one of you has very close to your heart. And that is the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was the pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle, which I think may indeed be the oldest still Bible teaching church, Baptist church in the world. Uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle, it's a who's who of, of big names and Baptist theologians who pastored that church from Benjamin Keach all the way to Charles Spurgeon. Today, Dr. Peter Masters is the pastor. Wonderful church. His name should be well known by every Christian, but especially Baptist. He is known as the Prince of Preachers, and to this day, his sermons are still in print and beloved by everyone who reads them. The other one is a name that is also probably pretty close on your lips. It's not as much of a preacher. In fact, he wasn't a preacher. He was a philosopher and an author living at the same time as Haddon Spurgeon in London, and his name was Karl Marx. And Karl Marx, he wasn't so much as a speaker as much as an author. And with a co-writer named Friedrich Engels, he wrote the book, The Communist Manifesto. Marx divided all humanity into two classes, those who are oppressed and those who are oppressors. You may remember that from last week. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He said that authority by its very nature is oppressive. By its very nature. And all authority needed to be destroyed. And I won't go into all the intricacies of his philosophy, but one of the things he said is that all private property must be surrendered to the state and then the state would be able to redistribute it equally so that we may have equity is what he called. Not equality, equity. Today, those two words are used interchangeably. He also called for the dissolution and the end of the traditional family. He said that the traditional family was oppressive to women and oppressive to children. Now, when I was a child, I would have agreed with that. Not so much today. These two men could not have been more different. There's no evidence that they ever met. But Engels, Marx's co-author, he said that Charles Spurgeon is the man that he hates most in this world. And as time went on, Spurgeon increasingly warned his congregation in England about the dangers of Marx's influence and his ideas. And of course, he ended up being quite prophetic because the truth is there has never been a bloodier, deadlier, more enslaving idea in the world than socialism. It's responsible for Stalin's Russia, Mao's China, Korea, you name it. 
There's never been a more oppressive, failed political philosophy in the world. And it's likely the reason why Marxism never really caught on in England is because of Spurgeon's preaching and because of his warnings. And along the lines, I would never compare myself to Charles Spurgeon, but along the lines of Spurgeon's warnings, we want to keep looking at this new threat to our culture and more to the point, this new threat to the gospel. And that is basically Marxism wrapped up in the language of social justice. In fact, here's what they do, beloved. They take words that we would all agree with. Who in here... Just as a general principle, who in here does not want social justice? Just as a general principle, of course, everybody wants social justice, right? Who in here does not believe that black lives matter? Of course, we all believe. But what they do is they take these, they take these terms that we all agree with and that we all hold to and they repackage them and present them as arguments, and we fall for it because we don't realize that they've changed the rules of the game, and they have changed the terms. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that I am concerned for you that just as Eve was deceived by the craftiness of the serpent, so also you will be deceived from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. They say that, that loving God and loving your neighbor is not enough. You are inherently a racist you are inherently guilty. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. You are guilty and therefore you must pay the price. Last week, we saw that this new movement, critical race theory and, social, and the social justice framework that they're using, it's leading Christians away from this devotion. It's everywhere. Last week, we saw that it does this by advocating that the scriptures in Christ are not enough. It's enough to cure your sins. It's enough to reshape your heart. It's enough to take you to heaven, but it is not enough to cure your racism. And that's what they're saying. You must do more. And these are evangelicals who are saying these things. People who supposedly are defined by the very evangel, the gospel. And yet they're saying these things. It's everywhere. I told you this morning, the state of Washington is mandating that all schools begin to teach it. And usually something that happens in the West Coast usually starts to make its way across the country. So how can they say stuff like this? Because it's based on a few assumptions. Number one, because they preach a different Jesus. It's a question of lordship. And we're gonna see that today. Who is really in charge and then they also have a different spirit. It's a question of understanding. We're gonna look at that next week. How do we know things? How do we address things? Who has the right to speak to these issues? And it's a different gospel. What is the solution to the problem? And you're gonna see that they preach an entire gospel, different gospel entirely. Before this morning, we need to just answer the first question, and that is, who is truly in charge? Who is in charge? It is a question of lordship. It is a question of who has the authority to determine what are the ills and what are the solutions for our culture, our society, and our church. 
And we're going to see that critical race theory, and again, I'm going to package it all just in social justice, okay? But critical race theory, social justice, is dangerous to the church because it assumes a different lordship than Jesus Christ. It puts a different lordship above us. It seeks to enslave us under a different set of rules and regulations. And how do they do this? Well, we're gonna see basically this, the second tenet. The first tenet is we saw, and they agree with Marx, that all humanity is divided up into two classes, oppressed and oppressors, right? We saw that last week. And the second basic tenet, the second basic of, of critical race theory is this, is that the dominant group rules through hegemonic power. Now, if you're like me, you probably need that term defined, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I'd never heard this term before I started looking at this. Hegemonic power. So what are we talking about when we say hegemony is how it's referred to? Hegemony, according to them, they say that the dominant group, which in America would be white Christian men, that the dominant group determines the values and the norms of any given society. Now stop right there for a minute. I mean, that's, that's kind of true right? There's a little truth to that. The, the dominant culture, the dominant group determines, you know, every culture has norms and values that it celebrates. What is good and what is bad? What is right and what is wrong? What is ugly and what is beautiful? This is pretty normal in every society. But hegemony adds on to this. And they say that these things, all these things are decided by the dominant group in order to suppress everyone else. That's what hegemony means in their vocabulary. Now, like I said, there's a little bit of truth to this, right? Like, for example, American or European classical music sounds very different from, say, Chinese classical music. Our brains have been wired in such a way to where we find certain combinations of sounds pleasing and yet other combinations of sounds are, sound kind of strange to us. But for the people who grew up in that culture, that's how their brains have been wired to listen to music, right? I mean, that's, there's a certain amount of truth to this. But what they say is that we determine the values and the norms of a society so that we may advantage ourselves and disadvantage everyone else so that everyone else must be suppressed so that we remain dominant. So hegemony, can you say that together? Hegemony. Here's an easy way to remember. Hegemony equals Jiminy Cricket. All right? So what does Jiminy Cricket say? Always let your conscience be your guide, right? Well, hegemony says that we get to determine what your conscience should tell you, right? So think hegemony, think Jiminy Cricket. Now, this can happen, can't it? I mean, look at Nazi Germany. Look at uh, Mussolini's Italy. This can happen. We're not denying that. Of course it can. It happens all the time. In fact, in a sinful world, we would almost expect this, wouldn't we? I mean, there is a certain sense in which this is true. But what is at issue here? What are they calling for? Well, number one, they want to reject 
our good friend Jiminy. They want to reject hegemony. And they will say that the norms and values in America are set up by white Christian men to oppress everyone else. And this is when they talk about white privilege. Privilege and, and just about any kind of privilege for that matter. Men privilege. In fact, in fact uh, whenever someone tries to give a different point of view, they'll say something like, well, you're just mansplaining it or you're just white-splaining it or, or whatever. They'll say stuff like that. Now, most of us, I dare say, that most of us don't feel like that we live under any kind of privilege, do we? I mean, most of us have had to work hard in our lives to get where we are. I mean, there, there are probably a few exceptions, but for the vast majority, we've had to work pretty hard, haven't we? In fact, I would say that your idea of what is hard, your idea, your challenges in life are going to be filtered through your experience and they're gonna be interpreted by your experiences, right? There is a certain amount of truth to that and we're gonna talk about that more next week. But most of us would say that life is hard and we've had to work hard to succeed. There are exceptions and, and they acknowledge this, but that's not what they're talking about when they talk about privilege. That's not what they're talking about. That's not what they're saying. And this is where it gets dangerous because we're not talking about certain laws or any certain procedures that are set up to advantage the dominant group. We all know the stories of, of congressmen who set up loopholes in the tax code so that their rich friends can benefit. We, we all know that kind of stuff. That does happen. But that is not what they're talking about. What they are talking about is reason, objective facts, foundational case law, these are the kinds of things that are being called into question. So, for example, Andrew Sullivan and the New York Intelligencer, I can't say that, but he says all the ideals, and listen to this, all the ideals of individual liberty, religious freedom, limited government, and the equality of all human beings. What does he say about them? They are a falsehood to cover for, justify, and entrench the enslavement of human beings under race. So all the things that, that are biblical ideals that we hold to, individual liberty, religious freedom, limited government, the equality of human beings, he says they're all false. And they're set up in order to impress, in order to suppress everyone but white people. In his book, Abram Kendry on how to, not be an, how to be an anti-racist. He laments the fact that his parents had to have a successful career, his mother in healthcare technology, his father in accounting, and he complains that his parents worked hard and entered the American middle class that he refers to as white space. The American middle class, you and me, white space, that's all it is. Jamar Tisby is an evangelical, and he was speaking in an interview to Phil Vishner, who is the creator of VeggieTales, the cartoon. You all remember that, right? Keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Yeah, you remember that, right? Here's what he said. Religious freedom is really just code for right Christians being able to do what they want. He's an evangelical. And that's what he said. Probably the most surprising example is from the Smithsonian the National 
Museum of African American Heritage and Culture, which is part of the Smithsonian, released this chart back in 2020, and I know you can't read that. But uh, these were things that they said are whiteness. These are things that whites use to suppress everyone else. This is the hegemony that must be rejected. And among these things, they say independence, self-reliance, that's a white thing that suppresses everyone else. The nuclear family, mother, father, and children, the traditional family, that's a white thing that suppresses everyone else. (laughs) This one cracked me up. Rational thinking, objective, rational thinking is a way that white people suppress everyone else according to to the Smithsonian. And hard work, And by the way, that's just what's on the, uh, that's all I could fit on the slide and still make it somewhat barely readable. There's, it goes on and on. Autonomy, planning for the future, delayed gratification, all of that is examples of whiteness. And they're meant to disadvantage others. Meant to keep everyone else under our thumb. Robin DiAngelo, in her book, White Fragility, she accuses white people of dehumanizing people of color. And my thought is, what about this? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I find that to be insulting, racist, and despicable. You're saying that no one else other than white people can aspire to these things and they shouldn't be asked to? Robin D'Angelo would say that she's the woke one, she's the enlightened one, and I'm the racist. To me, I find that pretty racist in all honesty. Don't you? Don't you? So what's their answer to this? Let's get into the word. I'm tired of this. Oh, but one more thing we do have to say. What's their goal in all of this? Is to overturn the hegemony overturn the hegemony. I worked very hard on that slide. I hope you're proud of it. (laughs) First, I had to turn him upside down. Then I had to kill him with the X's on his eyes. And then I had to find the little Ghostbuster sign to go above him. But anyway, this is all over their literature. Karl Marx advocated for the overturning of the nuclear family. He said the nuclear family was oppressive to women and children. And let's look at Black Lives Matter. Um, By the way, I want you to understand, we believe Black Lives Matter. Amen? We believe that. But the organization is different. And here is what the organization says on their purpose page, which they have since removed, but you can still see it in the Internet Archives. They say this, that when we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip, and watch this, of heteronormative thinking. And then he goes on. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families. So they wanna overturn the whole thing. It's taken directly from Marx. They're not trying to hide it. 
Their goal is to uproot and destroy God's design for the family, and they've been pretty effective at doing it. And in a moment of surprising honesty, one advocate for gay marriage, back when the debates were going on leading to the Obergefell decision to allow gay marriage, he says, of course we're looking to overturn marriage. We can't deny it. We want the whole thing to come down. I do appreciate their honesty. And when you hear others saying, we're going to fundamentally change America, what they really mean is we're going to overturn the hegemonic power that is oppressing everyone. That's what they're talking about. So we need to understand that these attacks against the hegemony, I can't say that, the hegemony, I can't say that very fast, the hegemony, Jiminy Cricket, these attacks against Jiminy Cricket, they are against the very lordship of Jesus Christ and his word. Beloved, American culture did not design the family, God did. American culture did not define the idea of individual liberty, God did. American culture did not, I encourage you, and I know he's a controversial figure, but I encourage you to read John Calvin's sermon on, uh, on 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 12, help me out here, Stephan, when they want uh, Samuel to uh, put a king over them and he's telling them that these are all the things that he's going to do. And I encourage you to read John Calvin's sermon on that because it is basically a list of everything that America was founded on. Limited government, low taxation, individual liberty, the rise of the middle class, and beloved, everywhere the Reformation has gone, society has flourished, even to this day. I was right? Awesome. So it's always a good feeling when you're a preacher and you find out you're right. So um, everywhere the Reformation has gone, society has flourished. To this day, Calvin's Geneva is still the leading producer of some of the most luxurious items in the world. Have you guys ever heard of a little watch called a Rolex? Guess where that comes from? Geneva. I want to tag you or myself, but uh, anyway. So just something to think about on my 20th anniversary here. You know, anyway. So $13,000 watch, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, fat chance. So we'll fire you at 19 and a half if that's what you're expecting. <laughs> So how should we respond to this biblically? How should we, well, first of all, I think there's something that as, as honest Christians, we need to do in light of this. I think there is something that we do need to do, and that is this, examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. There is a danger that all churches are exposed to. And just as much as we are asking those who are buying into this, we're asking them to do, we must make sure that the things we hold to are actual biblical commands and principles and not tradition that we've just simply always held to. Jesus points that this is a real danger among those who follow God, doesn't he? Look what he says in Mark 7. He says, uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it's written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far, far from me. Why? because they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There's a real danger that what we teach and what we preach 
are actually traditions of men and not the commands of scripture. We do need to be on guard against that. And beloved, it is true that through the years, the church has taught things that are unbiblical. Can, can we admit that? Black skin being the mark of Cain or the curse of him, it's ridiculous. Not being unequally yoked, you know Paul's command to not be unequally yoked, that that's referring to race. By the way, no, it's not. It's ridiculous. Men using passages in the scripture to justify abusing their wives and abusing their family and churches standing behind it. That's happened, hasn't it? It has. So we need to examine ourselves. We need to make sure that what we're teaching is actual scripture and not just the commandments of men. The Reformation had a saying, semper reformanda, always reforming. There is a sense that the church should always be reforming. We are always coming to a, to a closer and nearer reflection of what the New Testament says the church should be. There is always a sense in which we are constantly examining ourselves and making sure that we are doing what the Bible actually says. The Bible will never be proven wrong. The word of God is inerrant, but that doesn't mean our interpretations are. And so we, that's, that's why we do things here at Calvary, like the Institute for Church Leadership. And, and we actually encourage you to take these classes and, and learn how to study the Bible on your own. So that way, if I get up here and I teach some wacky thing, you guys will know, this is weird. Get off it, Randy, Right? That's why we do things like that. That's why we want to teach you how to be Bereans, not just tell you to do it. And so we need to examine the scriptures. Number two, and once we do, we need to uphold the scriptures. And this is where we're gonna look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. I had a lot more I wanted to say here, but uh, we have a baptism today and I wanted to leave time for that. And so... Deuteronomy chapter 30, though, Moses is preaching a wonderful sermon on the Ten Commandments. It's what the entire book is, by the way. And um, he says in verse 15, he says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, that I command you today by loving Yahweh your God and walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. Now there is a certain context here. He is referring to Israel going into the promised land, but there is a basic principle here that when we read the word of God, we find the words of life. This is not just societal norms and values. These are the very things that God, our creator, said that this is how life is commanded and designed to work. And it works best when we follow God's commands. And there's even a common grace principle here that even when unbelievers do what God says, things turn out pretty good. 
There's a common grace principle in this. And so we must uphold the scripture. We must uphold the biblical truths that these are not just white Christian ideals, but these are scriptural truths given to us by our God to say that I have created these things for your good and for my glory. Jesus is Lord. To make anything else Lord is to deny him. So we need to stand against oppression. Beloved, when the Bible speaks to standing against oppression, it's not talking about hegemony. The Bible defines oppression as coercion. We need to stand against that. I think, some of the, I think some of the things these people are seeing, I don't think they're little red devils that are walking around with little curly mustaches thinking how, I think, I think evangelicals who are embracing this stuff, I think they truly love God. I think they truly love people. I really do. I'm not, I'm not pointing to them as, as ignorant. I'm not pointing to them as blasphemers. I'm, I'm pointing to them as people who are just as concerned about some of the very same things that we should be but we can't sacrifice truth. We can't embrace error for the sake of trying to help people because error does not help people. Simon Peter said, he went ahead and put it up there. Go ahead and put it back up. Simon Peter answered to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. All throughout the scriptures, the word of God is associated with life. Beloved, it's not there just to simply help the dominant group be dominant. It's there because it is in the words of God that true life is found. And we preach these things not in order to suppress others. We preach these things in order to lift others up. The way that Christ, by his grace, has lifted us up. And how dare we hold that to ourselves? How dare we keep that to ourselves? What do we have that is not a gift from God? What do we have that has not been given to us? The very breath that you are inhaling right now, wishing that I would hurry up and finish, is a gift from God. And we want everyone to know those gifts, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Beloved, that's not just a song lyric. That is something that we firmly believe. And we know that God's word is the way in which people come to find life. John 10 and 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy which is exactly what these things are doing. He says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. To where do we direct people? Beloved, this is an issue of lordship. This is an issue of lordship. We direct people to the Lord and that's where they will find life. And that really brings us to the last point, which is that we must exalt the Lord Jesus. We must exalt the Lord Jesus. God truly does care about those who are oppressed. He truly does. I hope you know that. He truly does. God truly does care about those who are abused. 
whenever I gave the sermon on domestic violence, I made an argument that understanding domestic violence biblically, it's uh, oppression is a better category to look at it than marital problems or anger problems or all the way the world tries to solve those issues. No, this is oppression. And God cares about those who are oppressed. And by the way, I may surprise you here. Is God going to alleviate poverty? Will God get rid of poverty? I may surprise you here. Yes, he will. But not in this creation. Not now. Not in the fallen world. I mean, who in the world wants to be rich in this world? All you've got is a whole bunch of reasons to help you sin. All money does is reveal your idols because now you can afford them. That's all it does. Who wants that? I want to be rich in eternal riches. And God, by his promise, is going to alleviate poverty, but not here and not now. Now he calls the church to suffer. Now he calls the church to poverty. Now he calls the church to give up those things that we would worship in this world so that we may have the true desire of our heart in the next world. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's why Jesus says in John 12, 8, he says, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Beloved, as long as this creation stands, we will have poverty. We will have injustice. We will have oppression. But you wanna really truly liberate people? Bring them to Jesus Christ. Because you will always have the poverty in this creation. But beloved, one thing you will not always have is the opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ as your savior. That is an opportunity that is not promised to you tomorrow. That is an opportunity that is not promised to you even at the end of today. That is an opportunity that by virtue of your presence here today, that is an opportunity that is given to you right now that today is the day of salvation. Do not turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be truly free, then turn to Jesus Christ and trust in him alone for your salvation and you will have treasure in heaven where moth and rust and all of those things will never corrode, but it will be kept for you through faith, through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the whimsical rules of some government that's going to come and go eventually. You want to know true freedom? There it is. Jesus Christ, our Lord, love your God and walk with him. That is where true riches are. This is true freedom. Freedom for what truly oppresses us. You wanna know every single one of us in this room is oppressed. The world, the sin, flesh, and the devil oppresses every single one. Jesus says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. You wanna be released from your oppression? You wanna be released from your slavery? Come to Jesus Christ and you will find refuge for your soul.
If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. I would love to talk to you. We're about to see a visual demonstration of the gospel and baptism. But I would love to talk to you. There's men here who can talk to you, Brother Stephan, Brother Art, Brother Roy, women who can talk to you, Miss Bobby, uh, Miss Candy, Roxanne, Amanda, John. He's not a woman, but he can talk to you too. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Vanita, Robert. I mean, there's so many here that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we would love to talk to you and tell you how you can. Our Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your truths. And Lord, how your truth is true freedom. We thank you that you are the God of all creation. You are the Lord of all life. And you have made us for yourself. And Lord, we are, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And maybe there's a restless soul here this morning that is struggling. They know something's wrong. They think they're a pretty good person, but they know something's wrong. They've fed into the lies of the world, the lies of their own hearts. I pray this morning you would lead them to yourself. There is a redeemer and he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's stand together and let's sing this song together.